I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try armoire today. This is On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink, mom of four boys. And I'm Janet Allison, teacher of many more. Thanks for joining us as we share real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men. Jen, there are so many podcasts out there. How do you ever know which ones to listen to? It's overwhelming. You want a parenting podcast? There's about 80 billion of them, give or take. And of course, podcasts, but we also know that there are some really, really good ones out there. We've chosen a few to highlight. This is one of our favorites. Do you ever feel like a -a whack-a-mole parent, constantly putting out fires, just trying to get the problem to stop? Let us help you flip the script and move from just surviving into truly thriving. I'm Dina Thayer. And I'm Kira Dorian. We're the co-hosts of Raising Adults, the only parenting podcast that starts with the end in mind. Each week, we take a parenting topic and discuss it through the lens of future-focused parenting, our groundbreaking parenting philosophy that helps you parent with intention and be proactive instead of reactive. In each episode, we start with our why and quickly move into how, giving you tools and techniques you can implement right away. So join us as we help you stop raising kids and start raising adults. You can find the Raising Adults podcast on all major podcast platforms. According to at least one survey, kids' time online has more than doubled since the pandemic began. And many kids now spend more than six hours per day online in front of screens. And I can't exactly cast stones. Um, If you were to ask me how many hours I was online yesterday, I will tell you, it was way more than six and it probably wasn't all necessary or particularly healthy, but it was one of those days (laughs) yesterday, Janet. For most of us, the pandemic has kind of perhaps pushed screen time worries down a little bit. I mean, if you are worried about getting sick, if you are worried about um, maintaining your job, if you're worried about your kids in remote school, like you just can't worry about that amount of time. And that's fine. But on some level, I think there's still a lot of uneasiness going on about kids spending time with their devices. So joining us today to talk about screen time, 
pandemic parenting, responsible internet usage is Devora Heitner. She is the author of ScreenWise, Helping Kids Survive and Thrive in Their Digital World. And she has the website Raising Digital Natives. Welcome. Thank you for having me. So you wrote your book. It came out in 2016, correct? Yes. Seems like eons ago now that we're talking in 2020. So true. And it actually, it came out right after the last election. And now we're, you know, coaching kids to deal with a whole new news cycle around this election. And it's, it's really interesting to kind of remember where I was when I was writing and the kinds of conversations we've been having since that time. So how have these conversations evolved and changed? How have parents' screen time concerns changed from 2016 till now, and even from the beginning of the pandemic to now? Yeah, I mean, I've always been very focused on coaching parents to see screens not as a monolith, but really look at the ways kids are using screens. Are they using them to connect with friends? Are they using them to learn content that they can reshare? Are they using them to create? Are they using them to actually build a platform? Some kids want to get famous and be known out there and have YouTube or TikTok channels. It's, so it's, it's really important to understand what our kids are doing with the tech that they have access to and what role it plays in their lives. So, uh, and that that has not changed. It's really important to understand those nuances. And with the pandemic, I think it's also really important to understand that kids are living much of their lives via these virtual tech options, right? So whether it's doing school remotely, which many of our kids are doing, whether it's keeping up with friends, some kids are even, you know, dating remotely and in sort of virtual relationships. Yeah. And, and they don't have the options to be together in person in many locations. Some kids are back in school in buildings, but even then it's pretty locked down and, you know, kids are sitting in rows. They're not doing group projects. They may not be doing the same kind of clubs and extracurriculars in person that they were doing. So every kid's life is affected by the pandemic. And for most kids, at least some activities, there's gonna be some kind of substitution with a, a digital way of doing that activity, or there's just the loss of that activity completely. And both of those are really frustrating for our kids. So I think we really need to look qualitatively at like what are kids using tech for and not just say, okay, it's screen time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also need to look at what is it interfering with? And, and that's where we might be more concerned and, and want to help our kids make some change and mentor them and say it needs to be different is if it's interfering with physical exercise or if it's interfering with sleep, those are big ones, right? Then we know that something needs to shift in terms of balance. I really like what you're saying, Devorah. You know, there is this place where we as parents need to make friends with screen time. And there has been so much resistance around that, even pre-pandemic. And then just the guilt that that parents feel of, you know, I'm parking my kid in front of a screen again because I've got to get some work done. And um, just having that place, I like what you're saying about that connection with what are they actually doing? And there are good things happening. Of course, if he's in his room playing video games for nine hours a day, that's problematic. And you know, things need to shift around that. It is interfering with his life. But but there is that place where we as the parents have to come to some some comfort level with it, some some make friends with your son's screen time. And as Jen alluded to, you know, we gotta not feel so guilty about our own screen usage. 
at the same time, we're the models for our kids. So if your kids see you doom scrolling before bed or having other unhealthy tech habits, if you can't go to sleep because you're binge watching, they're going to see that. And that, that's true whether they're five or 15 or 25. Um, kids are very observant at every age and certainly tweens and teens love to really call us out on our mistakes. So my 11 year old loves to say, didn't you write a book about screens, mom? Like, why are you still on your computer? Or are you double screening? I thought you said double screening wasn't really great. Like if I'm trying to watch a show with him and then I'm also trying to surreptitiously check my email. So it's really actually great to have kids that will call you out on your, you know, bad habits related to tech, especially if, if it can be mutual. So a really great thought exercise to try, and you have to do it when you're not feeling guilty and terrible, but when you're feeling robust and strong and your relationship with your kid feels like it's in a good place is maybe ask him, what's your least favorite tech habit of mine? And if I'm willing to jettison that habit and really work on it, are you willing to jettison your worst habit for, or even just try it for a week? It's a kind of thing that like, yeah. if you have a swear jar, if you're that kind of family, this is the same kind of idea of like, let's just try. And it's also less overwhelming to try to change, you know, to, to try to change one habit versus trying to change everything. So maybe your kid hates that you text while you're talking with him, or he hates that you text and drive. And I know some of you out there do that, right? So maybe you, you're willing to really work hard on that habit. And certainly if your kid who's about to get a license sees you texting and driving, yeah. you may want to have a kind of, uh, come to reality moment with with them about I'm not going to do that anymore and I really don't want you to do it because of course not only is it illegal but we know that it's deadly and there's that role modeling too of um yes we are parents and we are definitely not perfect you know like so many other aspects of our life we can be healthier we can be more intentional um this isn't a we are the adults so we are doing it all right and children you are doing it wrong Absolutely not. And I think it's very important that we acknowledge that the tech is designed to be really, really intuitive and attractive. And some people would say addictive, but I'll just say sticky. And so okay. it's hard to walk away from. And so what you want is to engage, especially with adolescents, to engage their natural skepticism and their feeling that they're smarter than all that. And so talking about the way video games are designed to keep you coming back and to keep you sticking around and can kind of like own your time if you're not careful is really helpful. Getting kids to see it as I'm an autonomous person who can make my own choices about how to spend time. And yes, I love video games, but I also love to play soccer. I also want to see my grandma or I also need to get my chores done or get my homework in so I can go to college. Getting kids to kind of see that they have autonomy and that the, the games and the apps are actually designed to want to keep you there is really helpful because if they can be using their own feelings of skepticism and I'm smarter than that to kind of out feeling like they're running their lives and not that their tech is running them, but that they're running their tech, that's a great feeling to have. And especially during this pandemic that has stripped so much autonomy and independence from our kids through no fault of their own right? This isn't you're grounded because you did something wrong. All kids are essentially grounded right now in some right. ways. And it's, it's a huge limitation. And I think kids in general, when things happen, have a really hard time separating it from themselves, right? So in some sense, your teenager probably feels sort of punished mm -hmm. by the way that they're being grounded, just like adults sometimes take bad events this way. But it's really important that we communicate with our kids and say, you didn't do anything wrong. You have less freedom right now, even though I trust you and would be giving you more freedom. 
right? So my fifth grader last year had keys to the apartment. This year he would be going to school independently and coming and going and being home alone after school in sixth grade for at least 20 minutes or an hour. I mean, not hours and hours in middle school, but you know, we would be giving him more space and independence. He's not even going to school. He's stuck at home with me. So Mm -hmm. for him, it's this huge reversion and loss of independence. So we have to recognize too, that kids are trying in their tech lives, whether it's texting whether it's creating TikTok or YouTube or, you know, scrolling or playing games, they're trying to get back some of that autonomy that they've lost in this time. And that's very developmentally expected. Of course, kids are frustrated by the lost autonomy and independence. You know, I'm frustrated. Like I can't jump on an airplane. Like I might want to go see somebody on the East coast in my family or a friend or, you know, show up in some way that I usually would for a talk around the country. I mean, usually I'm traveling around the country, giving talks October, I would be barely home. And yeah. uh, I feel the loss of my independence. So if you're a teenager and your whole drive <laughs> is towards independence, this pandemic is just a terrible, terrible time for these young people. Yeah. Well, and I really hear what you're saying about, you know, uh, talking to your kids about how tech is designed and it's designed to keep you there. And, and yes, there's all the other things that should be happening in addition to your time on screens. But what about the the kids who say, I love my video games. I don't need to be doing anything else. I don't wanna go outside. How do you help parents to help their kids disengage without Yeah, I mean, it really depends how significant the challenge is. If a kid says, you know, I would prefer playing Minecraft to taking out the trash, but we'll ultimately with a little bit of nudging, take out the trash, you may not have a problem where you need a professional. If you have a kid who is not showering, not sleeping, not leaving their room, and you can't get that to change, and and or the kid who you're worried, and I, I always have parents, not always, but often have had parents take me aside in a, an event where I'm speaking and say, I'm worried my kid will actually slug me if I try to take the controller, mm-hmm. then you need a professional, then you need some help, and you need to rewrite your whole family plan around. So if you have the continuum and a lot of people will throw around the word addiction for the kid who again, prefers playing, you know, Fortnite to taking out the trash or doing math homework, but will ultimately push come to shove, get the math homework done, maybe plays a little more Fortnite than you'd like. That's not a kid who probably, I mean, again, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not here to diagnose anybody, but that's probably not a kid who would meet a clinical criteria for addiction. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's a kid who maybe has some habits during this pandemic. A lot of the things that would ultimately fill that kid's time and keep them busy and keep them, you know, happy and balanced maybe are not happening. And so you may have to work harder with that kid to keep a balance. The kid who I'm more concerned about is the kid who really, you know, gets, gets maybe, you know, extremely angry and explosive when you try to stop them from gaming or the kid who, again, doesn't, doesn't. Uh, you know, do hygiene, doesn't eat, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. doesn't sleep. That's the kid who, okay, you, your family needs some professional support to, to kind of reroute. That kid may need to go, you know, and unplug for a while or may need to radically change their, their situation. But most kids, it's more like a habit and maybe something as simple as moving it out of their room and making a plan with them. And, and as much as possible, if you can collaborate with your child on a plan, like, mm-hmm. okay, it's not healthy for you to be gaming from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed and only taking a few breaks to like, you know, shove some food in your mouth. That's not working. So let's make a schedule together. 
and and maybe they'll have a different idea of what that schedule looks like than you, but start from a place of what do they think would work? Or if they're saying, hey, it's really sticky, it's hard for me to change my habit, what's one habit you could change? You know, could they, when they're done with remote school or attending school for the day, could there have to be an hour of outdoor physical activity, whether it's, you know, soccer with a sibling, basketball in the driveway, is it raking leaves or doing something useful around the house? Um, maybe it's caring actually for others. And a lot of our kids are going to feel better about themselves if they do something for a neighbor. So maybe it's raking for an elderly yeah. neighbor or doing mm -hmm. something for someone else. And then yes, you can play for a couple hours till dinner because this is maybe the only way you're in touch with friends, right? So mm -hmm. for most kids, we probably don't want to cut them off from video games right now if that's the way they're connecting with friends because it may be one of the only safe ways for them to connect with friends. Yeah. Right. Certainly with kids, again, who are ex exhibiting you know intense aggression or other things, you know, get a professional's advice about what will work for you. But for many kids, just talking to them about a schedule, sticking with that schedule, maybe keeping the device out of their bedroom, certainly at night when they're going to bed, but maybe all the time, if you can send them to the basement, you know, one of the things that works for us is we're in a, a two flat or a duplex apartment and the basement isn't that nice. Honestly, it's like not finished. It's not the nicest place <laughs> to be, but that's where the Nintendo switch is. So my kid is down there, but you know what? Like there's not really good heating down there. It's kind of drafty. He doesn't want to be down there 10 hours a day. If we put it in his room, which is cozy and kind of like lovely, that's, that's where the books are and the Dungeons and Dragons and some of the other things he's into. Now we have a kid who sometimes I need to stop him at night at 11 o'clock at night. He's still making D and D characters and I've like started to go to sleep. And then I see his light coming under the crack <laughs> in the door and I'm like, and he's like rolling dice to make more D and D characters. So we have to remember that sometimes when kids don't sleep, it's not just tech. right? <laughs> <It can be laughs> things. Um, but it's certainly true that if he had the iPad in there, I would be much more concerned about his sleep. So those old school solutions, like keeping it out of their room are still worth looking at, even though a lot of parents are looking at, Kind of new solutions like you know kind of bricking the devices at night with apps that can turn off the internet on devices and that kind of thing i want to ask um, a kind of related question you know because of the pandemic because we all have to do so much more online um and because it may be the really only safe way for our kids to socialize right so a lot of us uh by definition and by need are letting our kids spend more time online than we might be comfortable with under other circumstances. And I've heard from some parents who are already concerned, like, okay, yeah, but then what about after? Like, how do I regain control afterwards? You know, how can I say it's okay for you to be on five hours now, but later I want you not to be on so much. Are you hearing those concerns? I am parents? hearing those concerns, but I'm also hearing a lot of kids who are quite sick of relating online and really ready to uh. see their friends in person. So I think for many kids, the, the hunger to see friends in person is substantial and they will be thrilled to be with friends in person. And the kids who were more introverted or had more social anxiety before, you know, may take some more adjusting getting back to school. I mean, there are definitely, I, I am hearing about some kids, again, like refusing school or not wanting to go back when, when schools have reopened uh, in some places. But for the most part, many, many kids will be excited and they're not, you know, loving the gaming as much as you might think. They're kind of doing yeah. it because there's nothing else to do. So I wouldn't assume that your kid is going to have problems and kids deal with transitions all the time. Some kids go back and forth between mom's house and dad's house and have different rules about screens. Some kids go away to camp and the kid you think could never unplug goes to camp for six weeks and totally unplugs for the summer. So I wouldn't assume that your kid can't handle that transition because kids go through those kinds of transitions all the time. 
And this is a very long time to be out of physical school for kids who are still out, like my kid who's been out since March and maybe out all year in Chicago. It's looking like my, you know, kids, kids like my kid and his peers may be out of school for 18 months. There is no question that my kid who left elementary school with one warm, fuzzy teacher in fifth grade getting dropped into seventh grade, not having yeah. the warm, fuzzy welcome to sixth grade will probably have a tough transition, but so will thousands yeah. and thousands of other kids. Everybody's in the same boat. And so I think it's really important to trust that kids are very resilient. Kids do go through adverse experiences, but having someone in your corner, your caregiver, your, your parent or grandparent that you're close to who cares about you, your mentor, your, your scout leader, someone who cares about you, someone who's there for you, someone who gets you and sees you, an adult who's supportive, that is the most important thing to get our kids through this adversity. And I think as Patterson, who I know you've had on the show, has written yeah. about go really quiet during adolescence. We really need to make sure our kids have someone to talk to. One of the things that I've done that I think has really helped, and I, I know this is a privilege, so I kind of hate to talk about it because we've been lucky that we can afford a little bit of help during this time, is one of the things we're doing is having an older adolescent that we trust who's out of high school and is a family friend taking our son on long bike rides um, with masks on. And we can't have a babysitter right now. And we're in that ah. transitional time. My son's 11, doesn't really want to have a sitter, but we can't leave him for hours on his own. And actually in Illinois, it's three years till that's even legal. I think he has to be 14. Oh, wow. <laughs> we can even be home alone. But anyway, we know most people aren't going by those rules, but, but, but he's not developmentally ready for us to like go out for the evening. And by the way, it's a pandemic. So where would my husband <laughs> and I even go? But to have these older guys playing a role in his life right now, I feel like is especially important because he didn't get to go to camp and have camp counselors this summer. Um, and so we're trying to kind of keep him in addition to the peers that he left elementary school with that he's keeping in touch with via gaming, doing things like going on bike rides and taking tennis lessons from some older guys that we really admire that we hope that he can talk to. I hear from parents all the time how bath time can be such an ordeal. And yet bath time can be really fun. In fact, here in the very cold winter, we use bath time as an activity. Dabble and Dollop has got this dialed in because they have bath products that are not only natural, healthy, free of toxins, all the things we want for our kids, but they're fun. Jen, you said when your boys were young, they loved to make potions. My son, Tyler, had so much fun mixing things together, making potions, recipes. He would have loved Dabble and Dollop's Day at the Beach bath mixing set because it's a collection of soap scents and a little mixing thing and your kids can combine scents and make their own creations. It is exactly the kind of thing that can turn bath time into a fun, enjoyable creative endeavor instead of just a fight. And I will say the bubbles have been bow tested in the bathtub and they last. They stay bubbles for a long time. Dabble and Dollop has everything from bath time shampoos, bubble baths, body washes, conditioners, lotions, bath bombs, bath toys and accessories. There's so many things to explore at Dabble and Dollop. Go to dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys to get 20% off your first order. That's dabbleanddollop.com slash onboys, 20% off for being an onboys listener. 
and I'm under no illusion that my kid is having these like deep heart to hearts with these guys. He's right. They're talking about Star Wars and Lord of the Rings and D&D and whatever, you know, they're interested in. But it's like someone to talk to who's a little older and wiser, but who's also not us. And I think our, all of our kids are getting a little too much time with us right now. Yeah. Um, I certainly am hearing from some parents of girls like, I feel so close to my kid. We're baking cookies and we're having all these deep talks. And I'm not going to say that we have no moments like that. Cause for certainly my husband and my son have had some moments like that. I've had some moments like that where we're like, let's just binge watch parks and rec and hang out on the couch and maybe even snuggle a little bit. And it's so nice, but we're also having a lot of moments where I'm like, wow, this is a really small apartment. <laughs> really sick of both of you. I'm really um, I love you. But I could really use some space yes. right about now. And so I'm yes. really happy for my son to have some experiences both with his peers outside of the house, um, but also with these older guys that I that I trust and that I just know are like really different models of like different ways to be an 18 or a 20 year old yeah. young man in the world that I'm kind of like, you know, that I sort of handpicked for this job of like yeah. being models yeah. for my kid. And I'm like, yes, like go yes. out and go for that bike ride with That's Sam awesome. and go and do tennis with Max and like yeah. really embrace these different ways to be a man in the world and just have someone to talk to. That's not us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 And vice versa, you know, let you, you know, it's nice to have some space from your kids too. Yes. I have a, I have a, uh, a question for you. This comes from a mom that is uh, a client and she has an 11 year old boy and it's just single mom and son talk about like too much togetherness. Although he is, he is starting to go to school. But what has happened lately is he has been making purchases and to the tune of like $900, of, you know, in-app purchases, you know, all the parents out there can be horrified about that because um, he's, he took her credit card. So that got sorted out. She didn't tell him that she, that she's not going to have to pay for that. They got it sorted out with Apple that was fine. Moved through that, tried not to make it a huge deal, but you know, definitely some trust issues there and lying. And, and uh, she just wrote me yesterday and he was able to circumvent whatever password da da da, and bought Grand Theft Auto and downloaded that. So she's at her wits end about how to rein this child in. I'm thinking like, just take every device out of the house. I'm wondering what your thoughts are about this situation. And so one of the things that I wrote about in ScreenWise is actually sort of financial literacy in the digital age, because our kids don't see us spend cash. We might barely give them their allowance in cash and especially in the world. Like my kid would usually go spend his, you know, allowance at the comic book store, but yeah. we're not doing a lot of that kind of in-person shopping right now. So it's really important that we work with our kids. So her kid may or may not totally cognitively understand that he stole $900 from his mother, right? Or could right. have, I know that it's, it sounds like the company reimbursed her, but you know, if he took $900 out of her purse, I think he would understand that that was a big transgression, but I think kids don't really get that digital money is real money. And so one of the things we need to do is help them understand that and help them understand privacy. The other thing that, I would do if if a kid violates trust that way is absolutely they would need to earn back trust and I would kind of lock down you know passwords and the ability to get new games um I think that again we have to be careful with consequencing kids with totally cutting them off right now especially yeah. I mean if he's back in school maybe she could cut him off from games for a couple of days or whatever mm -hmm. but if mm -hmm. if that was his only contact with friends I might say okay fine you can 
you know, see your friends for a little bit after school in Minecraft, but you also need to do these chores or other tasks to pay me back for right. the money you stole. And we need to talk about how you're going to regain my trust. Uh, kids who are struggling with impulse control may also have other things going on. So I think it, it is, it could be important for them again, to seek a telehealth visit with a professional just to get some support. Um, you know, a two parent family can still be a really, or a, sorry, a two person family, uh, a mother and a kid can still be a very strong, very functional, happy family, right. but they, it may be really especially helpful for them to get an outside take on things because their relationship is so closely aligned, right? They're living together. And in some ways, even for us, we're a three person family and we have, you know, a relationship with our kid that might be a little bit more like having a roommate than having a kid in sure. some ways, right? So, you know, it, it can feel that my kid can forget that he's the kid and that we're in charge because there's only three of us. And I think it's really important to figure out what does parental authority look like in a family situation like that right. and make sure that she has the support she needs and sounds like she's getting that from you as well mm -hmm. um, in terms of, of parenting and feeling really you know, that she can take the authority she needs to help him get it right and to help him move through this without shaming, but also with feeling ownership and responsibility. It's okay if he feels guilty. We don't want him to feel shamed and right. kind of obliterated by this experience, but it's okay for him to feel bad, like he made a bad choice and like he needs to shape up and do things differently. Yeah. So yeah. I think Take it's really ownership. important to understand the difference between shame and guilt in a situation like this. Yeah, absolutely. I know that we don't have a lot of time yet, but I have a question question that I want to ask, especially because, you know, we talk about boys. Uh, I have teenage boys at home. And a year ago already, there was an article that I saw kind of talking about, you know, there are memes online. We all know that there are, uh, but some of these memes, you know, have like white supremacy symbols. And some of these are like way off to the you know, pretty extreme and other people have raised the alert on some of this, but you know, as parents, we're always walking this line between giving our kids their space online, wanting to control what they see, which is kind of impossible. Um, what are your thoughts on how to keep kids safe? And I'm putting air quotes around that, you know, from some very uh, extreme ideologies that they're going to encounter online in ways that may seem very attractive to them. Yeah, it, that is really tricky because kids love to be skeptics and the the sort of alt-right, as they call themselves, has, have really captured a lot of teenage boys with that kind of, oh, this is what the adults aren't telling you, or this is what you're not yeah. going to learn in school, and uh, using language that can be really attractive to kids who are sort of developmentally in that moment and hormonally in that moment of feeling a little angsty, a little irritable, and a little distrustful of authority. So I think it's really important that we create spaces where our kids can talk about things and where they'll be heard, but also where we're not afraid to push back and test some ideas. You know, if they, if they share an idea that is reprehensible to you or troubling to you, I think it's, it's okay to push back. And for younger kids, I think it's also okay um, if they've heard something to, to really be very simple in your definition. So I think about, you know, when uh, my kid was in third grade, came home and said, what's a hoe? And I said, oh, what, where'd you hear that word? And I have a PhD and I was tempted to give him like the feminist dissertation <laughs> on the history of sex work. But then I was like, oh wait, he's eight. And he heard it on the paper, he has no idea what it means. So I said, it's a word that people use to insult girls and women and you can never say that. Done, mm -hmm. right? That's yes. not what I would say if my 
seventh or eighth grader used the word ho or any of its, you know, sort of related words, I would definitely go down a deeper road and a, and a more complex road, right? So I think you have to also take your kids where they are. If your eighth grader, you know, used a misogynist term, I think it's, it's important to talk about um, the ways those words not only hurt women, but demean men and boys and limit everyone's potential in a world where we're striving for everyone to be the best human being they can be. And to really understand how hurtful that is to you as well as a woman, if that feels appropriate. And mm -hmm. again, if you're a dad listening to feel like it not just insults again, women and girls, but also, um, also, also men and boys. I think it's really important that we uh, don't sort of take too many sides because our kids' gender identity may even be, you know, fluid. So we don't even know, like, will right. our son always identify this way? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, will his siblings always identify the way they do? But really talk about being a better human being. Um, and when we hear people get insulted, like white supremacy, for example, you know, most, most kids would never want to identify themselves as racist or white supremacist. But there are ideas about like crit criticizing things like affirmative action or pushing back on Black Lives Matter that might seem attractive. Kids get caught up in all kinds of conversations where, again, they might feel like they're just playing devil's advocate or it's kind of fun to see what people will say or it's shocking to go against what they might be told is, is, is kind of towing some kind of liberal or politically correct line. And I think it's really important to be open about the ways if you have a white boy that white men and boys have been kind of mobilized to do this stuff and really look at it. Um, so without getting sort of too partisan about it, I think if you're watching the debates with your kids, if you're listening mm -hmm. to political rhetoric, really mm -hmm. talking about what does it mean? Um, yeah, what does it mean? And, 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 and ask them, like, when you make that joke, you know, how do your friends respond? If you're um, in a small group of friends, you know, um, my son is in a very racially diverse school and, and he is white and in a racially diverse school and a racially diverse friend group, um, to, be to be aware that sometimes shutting up is the right choice too for white boys mm -hmm. and just listening. Like if your friends are talking about Black Lives Matter, for example, and you don't know what to say, it's better to say, mm -hmm. I don't know what to say. I'm still learning about this issue. And as a white kid, sometimes I, I just feel like I don't know what to say. Um, mm -hmm. That's a better thing to say. And then just shut up and listen to your friends and, and be thoughtful than to, you know, feel like you have to posture and you have to put something out there even when you don't know what to say. So admitting that you feel out of your depth or that you're still learning about an issue is a really honest and really supportive thing to say. Or if your child, again, for white kids who want to support their friends of, of who are kids of color trying to grow up and grapple with this stuff in this world right now, which mm -hmm. is so painful and so, so incredibly hard, um, to just say, what can I do to be in solidarity? What's the, what's the best way to support you? Um, mm -hmm. What if we are out in public and, you know, the cops come and hassle us, you know, which happens all the time to teenage boys and their friends yeah. when yeah. they're out. What is the role of, you know, a white kid in a multiracial group in that moment? Those are conversations I hope all parents are having with their kids. We talk a lot, Black parents talk a lot about black, raising Black sons or people raising Black children talk a lot about having conversations about the police. We should all be having conversations about what our kids need to do to be safe around police. Well, and no. this really touches on your point, Devorah, of um, that we as parents need to mentor rather than monitor. And I don't think we've really touched on that too deeply. I'd love to make sure that we fit that in before we close. So tell us about this idea, this different stance that parents can take around 
um, screens and monitoring versus mentoring? Absolutely. Well, monitoring is a very short-term solution and it can work in some situations, especially if you're monitoring collaboratively with your child, like say you just got your child a phone and you're saying to him, hey, I'm going to read your texts every once in a while for the first couple of weeks. If I see you're on the right track, I'm going to really back off, but I reserve the right to spot check this year. Uh, if you know, But if you see something that's going on or you're in a conflict that you don't know how to handle, please bring it to me. Uh, even if it's not you, right? Because a lot of times mm -hmm. our kids are in group text and it's more like something they're witnessing. And then mm -hmm. as they get older, it's really appropriate to step back from being sort of in their social media or reading their texts, but to be there for them if something comes up that they don't know how to handle and just having the hard conversations with them. You know, have you ever seen somebody post something that you thought was offensive or that's driving a conflict into the friend group or maybe that's mean or inappropriate about a teacher, for example, or something like that? and just open up the doors to having those conversations because ultimately your kid is going into college and the workplace and he's he's not going to be someone you're you're monitoring you're not going to hopefully geolocate him although i have talked to college parents <laughs> there are too many college parents you're, yes you're not geotagging him and watching him walk around campus so you want to kind of back off from that kind of monitoring so that he can be independent and making good decisions in the world because ultimately that's what we all want as parents yes Obviously, you are not going around the country in the same way right now due to the pandemic. Um, but I know that you are doing things online and in other ways. So if parents want to find you and learn more, uh, what's the best way to do that right now? I would say jump on my mailing list and I'll send you a link for that that you can put in the show notes and okay. come find me at raisingdigitalnatives.com. And some of the organizations that hire me are doing free events. So I, I'll post those on my website as they come up and you can always bring me to your school community or your workplace to speak as well. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us today. My big takeaway from this is that, you know, we as parents, especially as those who existed in this world before the internet and computers were ubiquitous, we like to think that screens are this separate thing and it's not. Everything that you're talking about, it's parenting. It's staying connected to your kid. It's role modeling, it's mentoring. It's all the same things that we're doing otherwise. And so if we can just focus on the focus on the basics of parenting, I think we'll be okay. That makes a lot of sense to me. I think we really need to focus on being great role models for our kids, including using technology in an ethical, thoughtful, mindful way in front of them and putting it away sometimes to really talk to them. And just being as much as possible in an observing rather than judging role with our kids and tech and really seeing the ways that it does support their interests, their friendships, mm -hmm. and their learning, and to be on their side as much as we can and not be, you know, in opposition with them about all of this stuff. And I think that is really possible, and especially during this difficult time to remind them that we're in some sense allied against this common enemy of, you know, the pandemic, and that we, we're all trying to stay safe. And that's a helpful reminder, because it can feel like the restrictions we're putting on our kids are placing us in opposition to them. Yes. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much for joining us today. I have, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed this conversation. Thank Thanks, you so much. It's Laura. my pleasure to be with you and I'm looking forward to continuing to be in conversation. Thanks so much. So Jen, I got your building boys bulletin in my inbox today.
I love getting this email every single week from you because it gives me so much information. I can just skim through it and say, yes, that's what I need to know more about this week. I am so impressed with the vast array of information. How on earth do you bring this all together? I have been combing through the news for uh, articles and resources about boys for years. I go through and I curate articles that help me learn about boys. And I have learned so much that's helped me be a better parent to my boys over the years. And so I now pull it together to share with other parents so it can help them with their relationships with their children. Of course, bringing all this information together, spending all that time sifting and sorting so that parents don't have to and pulling it together in the Building Boys Bulletin has to cost something. It does take a lot of time. And that's why I am charging a subscription for the weekly newsletter. You can subscribe for $5.99 a month or $60 a year. $5.99. Wow. That is a cup of coffee and a croissant. That's pretty much it. So it is quite a deal. And I appreciate all the work that you put into it because it does also help me be a better parent and a better advocate for boys. Thank you so much, Janet. How do our listeners access this valuable resource? Go to buildingboys.net. There is a place right on the homepage, red outlined box, enter your email address, click, and it will take you directly to the subscription page. Buildingboys.net. Awesome. Thanks for joining On Boys, real talk about parenting, teaching, and reaching tomorrow's men.